electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Sarah Eisen at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. As Becky said, it is a shortened session for stocks today, but plenty to watch as the holiday season officially kicks off. U.S. equities on pace for their fourth consecutive weekly gain and on pace for one of the best Novembers in 100 years. Roadmap's going to begin with retail's big holiday hopes. Retailers kicking off the holiday shopping season with a cautious outlook. Meantime, Amazon facing strikes in the U.S. and Europe on this Black Friday. Plus, NVIDIA shares are moving lower ahead of the open. The chipmaker reportedly telling customers in China that it is delaying the launch of a new artificial intelligence chip that it has designed to comply with U.S. export rules. And ceasefire, a tentative four-day agreement between Israel and Hamas, appears to have taken hold setting the ground for a staggered hostage and prisoner release. Let's begin in classic Black Friday fashion with an eye on retail. Investors watching what is typically one of the busiest shopping days of the year for signs of more cautious consumer spending going into the holiday season. I think page one of the times, Sarah, is retailers worry about holiday shoppers' mood. And yet NRF is expecting best turnout uh, as we look at some live shots of malls since 2017. 2021 was the really strong year for holiday spending, according to the NRF. Those numbers were up 12.7%. 2020 spending was up 9%. And then 2022, it kind of moderated to 5.4%. So we'll see if we can get a number. The original expectation from the NRF was 3 to 4%. I feel like expectations have been lowered by the retailers themselves, who a number of them have warned about the holiday spending season. Even the the retailers that came out and raised guidance, like in Abercrombie & Fitch, which are doing really well, didn't come in as high as the market expected when it came to that fourth quarter guidance. And so I think the setup is that people aren't expecting a very strong, they expect promotions to be pretty deep. We've already seen that. Um, the, the question is, are we still paying more than we were a year ago with inflation? But overall, I don't think there are these, these great hopes mm. for a big season. What do you think, David? What do I think, Sarah? Well, <laughs> were you, you gone online yesterday? I would no. I would note um, that uh, things are very different than they were five years ago, let alone ten or fifteen, in terms of <clears throat> judging overall demand from the traffic that we get on a day like today. Um, as we all know, uh, people shop uh, increasingly online, and those those deals were apparent or already made apparent a few days ago, and will continue throughout the holiday season. So. It's become, Carl, a lot more difficult in some ways, I think, in all the different data points we get and providers to really pinpoint, at least during the season, how strong it is. Remember back in the day, like live shots were, were material right. yeah. in terms of foot traffic, and we would, I would go out to the mall and mm. you would say, yeah, it's busy or it's not. Uh, longer calendar this year, 31 yeah, shopping days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which, as Jan Niffen said on Squawk Today, is about the longest you can get as the calendars circulate. We're only going to have 26 days next year. So on a, nom- I guess on a nominal basis, we'll have more room for shopping. That should help, right? That should, that should help with the retailers' numbers. Remember, this is 20% of their, of usually on, on average, their overall 
profits. I think there are other a number of factors at work, though, in the economy, the higher rates that we've had, the higher inflation that we've had, the student loan payment resumption. You know, this has been it's one we hear about on conference calls from the retailers. They warn about it. Target listed it, for instance, as a headwind. Hard to really quantify. So I, I went and I found some surveys. Jeffries did a survey recently, 850 plus consumers with outstanding student loan debt. They say that the results indicate consumers in this cohort are under significant financial pressure. When asked if they're cutting back, 50% said on apparel and accessories, 42% said on restaurants, and 42% said on beauty. Interestingly, 41% said on grocery as well. So that could lead to some trade downs. I think that that's sort of an unknown factor for a very important demographic cohort. Uh, but, Sarah, you've also been tracking the, the commentary from many of the retailers. You do it oftentimes at the top of the 10, certainly most recently during this earnings season. Yep. I mean, as you kind of indicated earlier already, it was a mixed bag. That's being kind. I mean, there was a lot of cautious commentary, it would seem, although it's not clear exactly if that's just sort of a, a forerunner to expectations by some of these CEOs and CFOs or they're really seeing it in the terms of the numbers. It's cautious commentary, and part of it is that where consumers are spending matters a lot right now. I mean, we should just pull up a year-to-date chart of Live Nation, of Carnival Cruise Line, of Marriott. This is still the YOLO economy, right, where the spending is going on vacations and Taylor Swift and Beyonce concerts. These stocks are up significantly year-to-date, 20%, I think, at least for Live Nation, 25 60% or more for Carnival Cruises. So. If you're at a Best Buy, you've been feeling this downturn or even recession for a long time now. Home Depot, Lowe's. I mean, no wonder people aren't spending on their homes as much. We did all that during the pandemic, and they're prioritizing. Yeah, Marvin Olson said last week, "Do it yourself." Is, is Which, not but it quite also what makes it, it harder to figure out whether the consumer is going into some sort of recession or any pronounced weakness because you are staying. We hear from Live Nation and, and Carnival and, you, and Marriott. You don't hear about decreased demand for consumer spending yet. And they get a little bit of a lead time, too, when people book their tickets and, and travel. So hard to imagine, first of all, with an unemployment rate that's still below 4%, that we're going to have severe stress. But there's definitely caution out there. All right, let's uh, stick with retail and the mall. Courtney Reagan is tracking the data and the foot traffic. She's at a mall outside New York and joins us now. Good morning, Courtney. Hi, good morning, David. I appreciate that you understand that this is getting harder and harder to figure out with all the different data points that we're getting over the years now and how things are stretched out earlier, later across platform. I am here at a mall in West Nyack. Traffic is starting to pick up. This mall, though, didn't open until 7 a.m. And that's very different, of course, than what we've seen in years past with shoppers lined up and sort of storming those doors. That doesn't really happen anymore with the earlier deals and the online deals. And we are just getting brand new numbers from Adobe for the full day Thanksgiving Day yesterday for online sales growing five and a half percent to five point six billion dollars. That's just a hair less than Adobe had predicted that we would see on Thanksgiving Day. Today on Black Friday, Adobe expects online sales to grow at about the same rate, five point seven percent. But that would reach nine point six billion dollars if that's indeed what we end up seeing. Now, Barbie, Marvel, Nintendo and also just general holiday decor are among the top sellers online so far. Again, according to Adobe Analytics, Captify, though, says that top retailers search right now for this Black Friday in order Target, Walmart, Home Depot and Costco. Target searches are up more than 450 percent here today. Walmart up more than 100 percent from last year. And I told you guys on Monday that Home Depot is often one of the hottest names on this day, which you may not expect for Black Friday. 
It is usually one of their biggest days online for sales, and there you see them at number three here, according to Captify for most searched. PlayStation 5, Nintendo Switch, Xbox Series X, and Meta Quest are the top search for consoles, according to Captify, and you can see here those searches also up year over year for each of those top four. Here's a live look at retail traffic on Shopify merchant sites around the world. The average U.S. order did come in a little more than 119 bucks on Thanksgiving Day, a little less globally at $109. Now, WalletHub's analysis of retailers, they say the average discount today is about 35%, with the biggest discounts at the department stores like JCPenney, Macy's, and Belk offering about 55% off, at least as an average. Now, as you mentioned, today is expected to be the busiest foot traffic day of the year, according to Sensormatic. That doesn't necessarily mean it will be the biggest sales day of the year. And of course, foot traffic is less now than it used to be because of all of the factors that we discussed. Still, the National Retail Federation expects almost 131 million Americans, 72% of the population, will shop somehow today, in-store, online, or both. I've already started and I have carts loaded up. Back to you guys. <laughs> carts, right. Yeah, same here. Courtney, thank yeah. you. Courtney Reagan Thanks. at the mall. Let's continue the conversation with Oliver Chen, TD Cowan, senior retail analyst. So among the names you cover, Oliver, what, what would you say is the level of caution right now heading into this holiday season? Yes, Sarah, the themes are right. Happy holidays, by the way. We were up this morning at Walmart Supercenter, the first one here in Louisiana. Uh, I am cautious. We tweaked down our holiday estimate this morning to plus two to three percent. And what we're looking for this season is flat traffic as well. We're also watching credit statistics. They're getting higher and worse uh, versus pre-pandemic. That's something to follow, too. That being said, there are bright spots. This is a holiday about value, about gift giving. We think Walmart and Ulta are well positioned and they are our Black Friday picks as well. We notice the best traffic there as well. So what do you do as an investor? What, what do you make of such? It's obviously such a critical sales period for the retailers. So what do you do with, with some of those names right now? Yeah, we would own Walmart. We think everyday low prices value what they're doing across the whole store, including artificial intelligence. It's a big technology story as well. They also had some exciting doorbusters. At Ulta, we love beauty, wellness, and what's happening in that category at large. Um, investing in your face and your in skincare, that's been a great category. And then as we think about the consumer, it's time to be somewhat defensive. So Walmart's the U.S. biggest grocer, which is a huge positive, and beauty is considered an essential. Uh, so that's how we're thinking about it. And we're a lot more cautious on consumer discretionary. There is a consumer discretionary recession. That's something to pay attention to. And we're noticing uh, lots of promos. Promos are flattish to last year. However, everyday low prices, opening price points, uh, those are more compelling this year and simpler this year as well. Oliver, uh, gas prices down about 15 percent uh, since Labor Day. It's one of the biggest seasonal drops in the past 20 years. And I wonder, is, has that forced you to change your model as we've gotten deeper into the season? Yeah, Carl, gas is something we're watching. It's been somewhat volatile, uh, which has been a little bit negative earlier in the fall. What we're really watching is weather. Unfortunately, weather has been warmer. We need cold snaps, and that will be very helpful. Warmer weather overall has been a penalty to this holiday season. One other thing we're watching is there's an extra day between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That could help by 20 to 50 basis points, and we need all the help we can get this season. So gas is something that really does have a lot to do with traffic. Lower will be better.
Oliver Chen, thank you very much for uh, setting the scene thank for you, us Mayor. on Happy this holidays. Black Friday. Uh, thank you very much. Happy holidays. Let's turn to the latest in the Israel-Hamas war. The two sides agreeing on a temporary ceasefire as part of a hostage release deal. NBC's David Noriega is live on the scene with the very latest today. Hi, David. Hi, Carl. Good morning. I'm in Ramallah in the occupied West Bank in Palestine. Uh, behind me is Ofer Prison. It's an Israeli military jail. We're here waiting for the release of the first group of 39 Palestinian prisoners who are being released in exchange for the 13 Israeli hostages from the Gaza Strip who are also expected to be released in the coming hours. As you can see, there's a crowd of Palestinians who have gathered here today to greet the prisoners who are expected to be released here. It's about 30 of that first group of 39 who will be released from this prison. The Israeli authorities warned Palestinians in the West Bank not to gather in crowds, not to do exactly what they're doing now. They are clearly defying those orders. Many of them have Palestinian flags. Uh, in terms of how this fits into the larger uh, ceasefire exchange, so far the ceasefire has mostly held. There have been a couple of instances on both sides. It seems Maybe uh, things were on thin ice, but again, for now, it's holding. Uh, Israeli authorities have indicated that they are fully prepared to receive the 13 We've heard from the White House that none of those hostages will be Americans. It will be women and children who are all either David women. David of NBC will do our best to keep that signal going. Uh, we are expecting some of those releases around 4 p.m. Uh, local time, as well as uh, hundreds of uh, trucks of humanitarian aid that, as part of this deal, will be able to go into the region. Take a quick break here. Take a look at the pre-market futures uh, holding in despite some elevated yields. We'll talk about reasons why, a lot of them stemming from Germany and Europe. Uh, we'll get this uh, final trading session of the week started when Squawk on the Street continues. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Major averages are on pace for what would be a four-week winning streak. Jeffrey's chief market strategist, Dave Servos joins us now here at Post 9. We'll talk about the equity markets, but we'll start off on the broader credit markets. David, good to have you here. Great to be in here. In person. Been a while. Looking good. Feeling good. Thank you. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, heading into 2024, you remain hopeful that all of those who were involved in misunderstanding U.S. inflation basically shut up. But, of course... Um, those are my words, partially yours. That's not going to be the case. But you do say, please don't fall for another one of those flawed demand side Armageddon style recession calls in 2024. Why do you say that? Well, I think all the arguments that the folks are making that are about a recession coming in 24, exactly the same that they were making a year ago. Nothing's changed. And I, I look at this as a year where we really learned 
that supply is the driver of inflation, that it's really been a supply side story and continues to be a supply side story. And I'm just not willing to go down that demand side rabbit hole that many folks went down last year where they said, we're going to have to have two years of six and a half or seven percent unemployment just to get inflation back to two percent. I, I think that was just one of the great failures of modern Keynesian economics. And why would we listen to those same people when their arguments are no different than they were before, David? I, I just, I'm not going to do it. Uh, uh, Jay Powell clearly not listening to them. Although I do and I'm very happy about that. On the other side of that, though, is your expectation that he will be willing to cut perhaps as quickly as some of the market expect come 2024? I don't think so. I, I, I think Jay is going to stand quite stalwart. He's going to have a lot of political pressure. It's an election year, and this is going to be a really tough one for Jay. But he's got a couple years left in his term. I think he wants to go out as the, the Paul Volcker type guy that slayed the great COVID inflation. Uh, and, and ride off into the sunset that way. I don't think he wants to be seen at all like an Arthur Burns-style character, which is someone who was rolled over by his administration back in the 70s, and even Bill Martin back in the late 60s during the Vietnam War with Lyndon Johnson. That's not where Jay wants to go down in the history books, and I think he cares about his legacy, and he cares about making sure inflation expectations stay anchored, and that he goes out as, uh, as that stalwart central banker that ends up in what I like to think of as central bank heaven. <laughs> in central bank heaven, there's a chair with Paul Volcker sitting there, and everybody's uh, looking up to him. He's got some German guys and some Swiss guys around him, maybe a Japanese guy. And then there's central bank hell, David. And that's Arthur Burns. And you throw a few Italians and Greeks and Argentinians, and uh, I guess the Argentinians are going to be out of a job as a central bank now. But, yeah, there, uh, there's a new place in hell for them, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they go even, uh, even to a new place. But I think that's where he wants to go, and I, I think he can go there. I think he's done an incredible job at managing one of the most difficult supply shocks that we've witnessed in, in the markets in our careers. Although there are still questions about whether we go now from 4% to 2% on inflation, this last mile, and we've seen a little bit of worrisome signals on the inflation expectations, certainly in the University of Michigan. So it's not like mission accomplished. No, it's not mission accomplished. You're right. And that's why I, I kind of answered David's question the way I did, which is to say I don't think he's going to give in and sort of declare an early victory. I think he's going to do a few flag waves like, hey, we got this. And, but he's not going to go all in and say, hey, we got this and we're cutting rates now. And I think that market might be ahead of itself. Once again, just like it was last year. Remember, last year around this time, we were forecasting rate cuts by September of this year. Uh, and we were forecasting a recession. I mean, the 70% of, I think 70% of all the professional forecasting economists out there for 2023 were forecasting yeah, a recession. Yeah, but the opposite, but now it's 70% forecasting no recession in 2024. So doesn't that make it's you less. a little nervous? It does. I hate, I hate being in the consensus, Sarah. I love where I was a year ago. So I'm a little more nervous, and I do think we're going to slow. I really do. I think we're going to have some demand-side pressure, which maybe gives me a little more confidence in answering your question, which is that there could be some demand-side slowing that brings inflation a little bit uh, a little bit faster to 2%. So then at what point is it are real rates restrictive enough where you could have a, a, a cut of some kind, regardless of the motivation? You know, that seems to be the argument that the John Williams has made, Mary Daly's made. Uh, you've seen it from a lot of economists uh, on the sell side and, and private uh, forecasting economists. I get it. I mean, real rates are going up. If, in, if nominal rates are staying steady and inflation's going down, real rates are going up. But 
you know, kind of going back to where Sarah was, we still have a job to do, and he has a job to do, and we're still at four on the core four. CPI, and I, I just think he's not going to jump the gun on it. And I've made a big point this year, and, and this, I think, doesn't get enough airplay. We haven't talked about it much uh, when I've come on via Zoom with you guys, but the balance sheet of the Fed is still super, super expansive. It's an $8 trillion balance sheet with all that liquidity, all those reserves, all that cash in circulation. Not to mention that the balance sheet took a huge loss that the market would have otherwise had to take if there was not a large balance sheet. So the balance sheet is very stimulative. And you can't look at monetary policy just through the real rate lens. You have to take it with balance sheet and real rate. And they have two levers now. They've had it since 08. And the balance sheet, to me, is still super accommodative. And that offsets some of that restrictiveness in rates. Now, a lot of people a, disagree with you and think it's not the people, stock, it's the flow, a right? A lot of people the hate direction. that view, Sarah. Yeah. But I think it does a lot of explaining of where we sit today, even with five and a quarter percent interest rates. Because five and a quarter is a big number. And taken by itself, I think, would have done a lot more damage without the balance sheet being so big. But you're absolutely right. I am speaking from a minority, which, again, I like to know. <laughs> uh, well, David, we're very happy to have had you here. Come back in person again it's soon. Okay? so good to be back. Um, have, a, have a great Thanksgiving Are you waiting until the Fed cuts to cut your hair again? No, I'm not going to do that. Maybe we'll do the beard next time. <laughs> okay, thanks, David. Oh, look at him. He looks great. He looks great. I'm just right. wondering what he's waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> David Serva. Take a, take a look at the pre-market here as we count down to the opening bell. A lot more squawk on the street on this Friday in a minute. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Shares of NVIDIA under some pressure in the pre-market following this report out of Reuters today that says the company is delaying the launch of a new China-focused AI chip to comply with these fresh U.S. export rules. Some of this was hinted at uh, on the call earlier in the week, although for a company that gets a fifth of its revenue out of China, uh, anything regarding supply to China is going to get some scrutiny, David. Without a doubt. And, you know, the, the, that was the, if you want to call it the negative, from what was an extraordinary quarter yet again for the company. But the reason perhaps that its shares were met with a somewhat negative result, given the size of the beat and the guidance in trading on Wednesday after the report, uh, Tuesday after the bell. We'll see, you know, what they look like here. But again, the important point is not a positive response to what was otherwise a very good quarter other than these continued concerns about China. And according to the report from the semi-analysis newsletter, they were supposed to launch November 16th. At the opening bell here in the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board. It is American Express celebrating Small Business Saturday, of course, at the NASDAQ. It's Amazon kicking off the holiday shopping season. Yeah, we got a ton of Amazon headlines, not, not just Black Friday football today, uh, Dolphins, Jets, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, but uh, 
getting approval, David, in the EU for the acquisition of iRobot. Uh, no conditions, I think, is what the headlines suggested. And then facing some labor uh, demonstrations in Europe, specifically Germany and the UK. Yeah, and when it comes to iRobot, uh, you know, this is a deal that was announced back in August of 22. Originally at 61 bucks a share, it was revised down last July. This last July to uh, 51.75 a share. Company took on some debt, um, and it remains unclear whether they're going to get approval. The EU story that Carl's referring to is a Reuters story saying Amazon is set to win unconditional. EU antitrust approval for that acquisition. They're citing three people familiar with the matter, but we haven't heard from the US FTC. And that's, you know, still, to, I mean, it's been August the 22 we're talking about here. So there is still a key question as to what's going to happen for the fate of this, uh, this deal overall. Again, you can see, given the price, even at 51, there is still continued concern, but a very positive response to that report about unconditional from the EU. We haven't actually gotten it officially, uh, I don't believe. And then on the labor strikes, I mean, it's, it's not clear just how many workers are going to be affected. I think in Coventry in the UK, it's a thousand, they said. But all the, all the comments from Amazon say it's not going to be disruptive for Black Friday. It's an issue to watch, though, for investors, even if it's not disruptive, because in the U.S., we know that Amazon could face a wave of, of labor action after the, the workers in the New York site voted to form the first American Union at the facilities last year. Amazon has been successful at combating this. There have been a, a number of drives that have failed in the previous few years, but it's something to watch, especially as we continue to see labor movements gain power across the country. Yeah. What's been interesting, I think, in the U.S. is the number of disruptions that have been uh, really kind of settled quickly. Teamsters, UPS, uh, obviously the UAW, the Directors Guild, the Writers Guild, SAG-AFTRA, right? Without They've any been real settled, disruption. Not, not very quickly, right. um, but yes. Yeah, with the, it's, a, it's a labor dispute for a reason. We just actually got a win ratifying the five-year deal. We've got Caesars under our belt, MGM's done it. So these things are getting, they're clicking away. Yeah. But it has been an unusual year yes. for labor, I, I want to call it unrest, but certainly... Uh, I mean, the UAW strike, of course, which only got recently resolved, is sort of the key one that we think of. And Hollywood actors and writers, they're getting back to work, I guess, at this point. Well, we're starting to see the marketing hit for Wonka yeah. and Maestro, and we'll see how Trolls does this weekend, go Universal. But <laughs> what else is on the, on the list besides Trolls? Um, there's Wish out of Disney. Uh, Napoleon's and, uh, out there, too. I don't know yeah. what that. I saw some. Well, now the actors can actually promote, which was right. a key problem. Right. And one reason why you did not see anything showing up at the box office, even when it was uh, was ready. You think this you think this Black Friday football thing could turn into a tradition? We haven't had a Black Friday football game since 1962. I, I heard Becky say that earlier on Squawk Box. It wasn't even the NFL. Yeah. It was the AFL. Yeah. Makes sense that Amazon would want it on Black Friday. Uh, and they're going to uh, be promoting certain things within the broadcast itself for, uh, for deals specific to, uh, to Prime, obviously, during the course of the broadcast. I don't know. I'm just hoping, Carl, that I can watch for more than a half without just saying <laughs> I got to turn this thing off as a long-suffering New York Jets fan. You can understand what I mean when I say that. So if we get to 4 o'clock and there's still a game, I'll just be happy. You're weeks away from your man coming back. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. From right. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is coming? Well, he's not human, apparently, <laughs> because everybody else, it takes like 18 months to come back from an Achilles tear, but he's going to be four, Sarah. So 
Very good, though, on the Aaron Rodgers. Thank you. Well Thank done. You. I knew something. Well But they done. still won a game without him, which I knew, too. They've won... They've won four games okay. without them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, unfortunately they've lost six. <laughs> um, I'm watching Apple guys today as well because there, there's this report, and always with, with Apple, you know, that's not out of the company, it's out of a report. This one's Counterpoint Research saying that Apple saw a drop in smartphone sales in China during the recent Singles Day promotions, and they have some specific numbers on here. Decline, the number of Apple smartphones sold declined 4% from last year during the two-week sales that wrapped up November 12th. And they had some strong numbers for some of the competitors, like Huawei and Xiaomi, 66 and 28% growth, respectively, during that period. So potentially a reason why Apple's under pressure. You're also seeing this kind of, some of the winners right now are, are under pressure, and the, and the losers of the year are actually gaining today. Estee Lauder, for instance, is at the top of the market. That's been a big change from what we've seen basically in the story of 2023. Um. Guys, it's not a public company, but it's certainly one that has taken a lot of our attention over the last week. I'm talking about OpenAI. It's one of the more important companies you could argue out there in general. Uh, again, a private company. We can't put a chart up. But what a week it has been for that company. Uh, its co-founder and CEO, Sam Altman, roughly a week ago, pushed out as CEO very much unexpectedly over an unexpected Zoom call from a board that, by the way, no longer exists. It's been reconstituted since then. Of course, as our viewers probably know, Mr. Altman was out, only to be brought back about five days later after enormous uh, resistance to that move from the employees at OpenAI itself. We've never been told specifically what was at issue for the previous board. The newly reconstituted board includes only one member of the previous four-member board, or actually it was six, including Altman and, and uh, Brockman, um, and now includes the likes of Larry Summers, uh, Brett Taylor uh, as well. Um, but there has been some interesting reporting on the tension within the company and its board because remember their responsibility at that board was not about profitability or protecting equity or owners. It was about making sure that the AI was developed safely. And so this story from uh, uh, that, that you're seeing right there refers to perhaps some new advances that have been made by the AI. And uh, a quote from Altman that I think we can share with you sort of lends a bit to that, or I should say some, uh, uh, some sound from Altman uh, to the idea that they were making a new advance and you know, whether or not this was sort of a, a key point of a disagreement between Altman and the board remains unclear, but take a listen. This sort of technological change happening now that is gonna so change the constraints of the way we live and the sort of economy and social structures and what's possible. Um, I think this is like gonna be the greatest leap forward that we've had yet far, yet so far, and the greatest leap forward of any of the, of the big technological revolutions we've had so far. So I'm super excited. Uh, I can't imagine anything more exciting to work on. And on a personal note, um, like four times now in the history of OpenAI, the, the most recent time was just in the last couple of weeks. I've gotten to be in the room um, when we sort of like push the front, the sort of the veil of ignorance back and the frontier of discovery forward. And getting to do that is like the professional honor of a lifetime. Unclear, you know, Carl, what exactly he was referring to there. There's some reports that say it can now do math without even any preparation. I still think, though, we haven't really hashed out this whole unusual structure where a nonprofit board governs 
a business that is raising right. a lot of money from investors and also growing its revenue very rapidly and whether whether that works or not because it's still a nonprofit. It's still a right? nonprofit. And that still raises some questions. And these new members of the board, as far as we're aware at this point, the charter has not changed. So their responsibility remains basically this idea of making sure that the technology is developed safely and not safeguarding the rights, for example, and or trying to maximize uh, the value for shareholders. And of course, the key shareholder here is Microsoft. That were also an open question at 49%, having contributed through largely uh, credits to use its Azure uh, 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 cloud, uh, but nonetheless, what do they want and what will they get to make sure something like this doesn't happen again? There's a lot of cynicism uh, surrounding the whole situation. I think the headline in the Atlantic this morning is the money wins at OpenAI. Uh, uh, interesting to think about things that could go wrong, but then you have Bill Gates on Trevor Noah's uh, podcast talking about the promise of AI, in his words, will eventually allow us to enjoy three-day work weeks. I think the quote is because the machines will be able to make all the food and the stuff. Take a listen. <laughs> You know, the purpose of life is not just to do jobs. So if you eventually get a society where you only have to work three days a week or something, that's probably okay if the machines can make all the food and the stuff and we don't have to work as hard. Sort of echoing what Diamond has already said, right? that our children's children are going to have freedom from cancers and probably work three days a week. Yeah, reminds me of my interview with Massa uh, many years ago, talking about it would be like Roman times. I'm not sure. He had a view of Roman times where people were just being fed grapes by I'm not sure what. But <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I'm back to a heightened uh, a level of alert, Carl. I can't help it. It just feels like something out of a horror movie. Well, I feel like you would embrace movie. a three-day work week. I would, but I'm anyone. worried about the development of this technology and the fact that, I mean, Altman's referring to something here, and just doesn't it follow that perfect script of, well, the dollars went out, and then the technology ran rampant? I, you don't hear as much about it. Most of the people involved in developing it believe it can continue to be uh, uh, developed in a relatively safe manner without threatening civilization as we know it. But it's not static, and it's no. not linear. No. Right, so people who think they understand it at this moment might feel differently at some future date. I thought the optimism was notable from Bill Gates, not just on, on working, but also on the promises for health care, which he's very involved in, and education, another big philanthropic effort. Let's think of the, the positives for society, maybe. That was the message I, I know, got. No, right. But it's going to, if in fact it even is positive, you're still going to be, people will not be working, but... How many people will be put out of a job? Well, you need something along the lines of this universal income that has been discussed on occasion. But then to stuff that you're going to be tracking in the nearer term, Sarah, I, I bet you it will be productivity and what yeah. it's going to mean even in 2024 Aye. for productivity gains that perhaps have not been properly expected or measured. Um, we'll see. We'll see. It also deals with the tight labor market, which we still have going on, uh, potentially, at least for, for now. I'm just looking at the overall S&P, guys. It's, it's now given back some early gains flat. The, uh, did you see the Tom Lee notes of Fundstrat? He had some, some good um, statistics on the Wednesday and Friday of Thanksgiving week, if we're going to look really near term on the market. Basically, the upshot is usually the market goes up Wednesday, and if it goes up Wednesday, then 100% of the time, I think you looked at the last 30, it goes up Friday, too. We'll see if that sticks today. Yeah. We're flat. Next week's going to be key, too. We'll get PCE. There's actually a lot of dovish commentary surrounding the inflation prints that we'll get next week, uh, ISMs, uh, Beige Book, and then we will get a taste of 
maybe a little more AI color out of Salesforce and Dell and Workday and some others too. Yeah, I mean, the next week, the core PCE, I think, is going to be key. That's what the Fed is targeting. That's the preferred inflation gauge. That's the one that remains higher than comfortable. I think especially in light of those, those rising inflation expectations we saw from the University of Michigan, both on one year and five year, that's going to be key for the market and for the Fed. And where the market is right now is it's expected that the Fed is done and they're going to start cutting rates in May of next year. And the Fed is going to do this communication dance where they have to try to convince the market that they're not looking to cut rates anytime soon because they risk undoing a lot of the progress on inflation. So that's going to be the delicate dance that we're going to have to walk and, and that the Fed's going to have to walk and we're going to listen to in the Fed speak. Kind of interesting. You know, we got below 4-4 uh, earlier in the week. Then you had Germany, of course, suspend um, their, their debt break for the fourth time. That led to some elevated yields in Europe yesterday. It looks like the U.S. is catching up a bit today. Got comments out of Lagarde, not just almost sounding as if they are deferring to whatever move the Fed wants to make next, adding that her, her son lost a lot of his crypto uh, investments, I yes, despite her good advice. Yeah, she doesn't sound like the biggest fan um, of cryptos. She's, you know, pointed to the fact that they're speculative, worthless, and have a lot of criminal activity in them, which I think we can point to some examples lately, um, including the latest on Binance. But yeah, I mean, the, the, clearly the ECB, like the Fed, is in, in wait and see mode, but has cautioned against and celebrating too soon when it comes to inflation coming back down to target. I'm, I was also watching the Euro Open as well because, you know, we had this election in the Netherlands that uh, I think surprised a lot of people where we saw the far right populist, Gert Wilders, take the lead and took the prime minister role and had a big majority as well when it came to some of the numbers that were expected. He has his independent party. He's railed against, you know, he wants to ban the Quran um, and immigration in the Netherlands. And I think we have to watch to see this sort of reckoning in Europe of what's happening with immigration. There were obviously those the attacks in Dublin as yep. well yep. and how that's going to impact the course of not just the economy in Europe, but politics. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of corners. Uh, Latin America as well, although the, the headlines today regarding uh, Mile is that his rhetoric is actually getting toned down a bit from the campaign rhetoric as he has more reassuring comments for some trading partners, for example. But that's another. Yeah, like China and Brazil. Yeah. yeah, the idea of dollarization itself was very difficult to execute, <laughs> apparently, uh, despite what he may want. Uh, guys, love to end on oil. I am noticing Exxon and Chevron are both up. I haven't actually looked at crude, but we've been talking about it as a story Carl mentioned at the top of the broadcast as well, because it has been down. Uh, sharply uh, since Labor Day. We're talking about a 15% decline in the price. Well, natural gas also uh, having moved down. There's a look at crude uh, yet again. Uh, but at least, uh, or at this point, Exxon and Chevron, the two sort of that I look at most often, of course, typically respond negatively when they when you do see the underlying commodity down, are both up. Two of the biggest deals of the year as well. Don't forget, Hess on the part of Chevron and Pioneer Natural for uh, Exxon, both very large transactions, obviously in the process of close that will take some time for them to complete. Uh, U.S. production uh, still operating near some records. Uh, and with the price of oil here in the what was the low 70s, we'll see if the administration takes any steps on uh, refilling the SPR. The final story is maybe the dollar, uh, Sarah. A lot yeah. of headlines today selling off now at the fastest pace of the year. Uh, a lot of that is sort of the inverse of what we saw uh, last year when the Fed was in full hike mode. So the dollar right now for the month is down 3%, which is actually a really sizable move. 
for a currency, um, in the last six months, it's, pr it's pretty much flat. But what's happened is the dollar follows yields. And since we've seen Treasury yields come down so dramatically, the dollar's weakened dramatically as well. When the, when the conversation moves to cuts, that weakens the dollar. I think for 2024, though, it's not a wildly negative outlook because the U.S. is still in better shape than the rest of the world on the economy, certainly better than big trading partners like Europe and China right now. And that ultimately keeps the dollar more attractive. On that front, we'll watch bonds today uh, as we wait for some uh, PMI flash data. But uh, for the time being, we'll get we'll work for that. Get Fed balance sheet this afternoon. Ten years, we were showing you just above uh, four four ahead of a busy data week for next week. We'll be right back. Global PMI is rolling in. Uh, got the U.S. version of the flash. 57, 50.7 is unchanged from the prior. Manufacturing 49.4, down a bit from the prior 50. And services 50.8, uh, up a touch actually from a prior 50.6. We'll watch that with the Dow up 65 to start this Friday. Stay with us. More than 130 million are expected to shop today online and in stores. That's a new record, according to the National Retail Federation. Our next guest says his uh, company is slowly seeing the ramp up in customers. Joining us today, LLB and CEO Stephen Smith. Stephen, happy holidays. Great to have you. Good morning, Carl. How are you? I'm and, good. Uh, good morning, I was thinking there. of all the directions we could go, inflation, uh, inventory. But it seems like for you guys, um, w winter weather is going to be maybe the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, this is L.L. Bean. This is L.L. Bean season right now. Uh, it's finally starting to get cold and chilly. Uh, we've got some wet weather and snow coming across the country, which is really helpful for our sales. You know, we're, we're a, a key holiday destination and it really is just kicking off now. It's been a it's been honestly been a slow October, early November, uh, but starting to hit our stride right now. We were mentioning earlier uh, the degree to which at least headline try to paint this recent quarter of retail earnings uh, with some pessimism. Why do you think that is? Is it because October was a little bit slow? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we've weather has a big impact on retail, especially for an outdoor retailer. October was the warmest in history, really, across the upper upper Midwest and New England. Um, and most retailers were ready to sell cold weather products. And so that's mm -hmm. kicking in now. We saw the same issue over the summer. Uh, you know, June was incredibly wet and uh, it was really slow going for the summer season. It kicked in in earnest in July. Uh, we're also seeing, and I heard this earlier, some of you reporting, um, very much a want and need now creates a buy now. So people are really waiting until they need, need or want the products. What's going on with prices, Stephen? Because you see the promos and, and there are just deep discounts, but as a consumer, you can't help feeling like you're paying still a lot higher than you were a few years ago for apparel and accessories? Yeah, for us, pricing has stabilized. So really the price increases that were more dramatic were in 22, and that was in a response to all of the supply chain issues. The supply chain has really smoothed out, and we don't have uh, dramatic price increases going into this season and into the spring of next year. Um, for sure, all retailers are nervous about inventory levels, and we saw that coming out of last year. Um, and you see that in promotional activity right now. People are trying to move through inventory a little more quickly, and, and we're seeing those promotions. We don't really play that game. We have a lot of confidence in our first price pricing strategy uh, and the high quality and durability of our, of our products. But the labor environment, you say, is, is getting better. What, what was it like, and what is it like now? Yeah, this year has been, uh, has been really positive. You know, the past couple of years, the labor market has been really challenging. 
in all of our retail stores across the country, as well as here in Maine in our fulfillment center and manufacturing. This year, we were able to hit all of our, um, our seasonal uh, hiring goals. We hire about 4,000 additional people through November and December and really high caliber folks coming back into the marketplace. So I couldn't be more confident with the staff that we have in place. Uh, and I'm, I'm really uh, happy with, uh, with how we've been able to recruit and bring in new folks. Stephen, uh, obviously an important time, but the most important time of the year uh, for your business and the markets in general uh, to a large degree. Thanks for the guidance. Have a good holiday. We'll talk soon. You bet. Thank you. Yeah, have a great holiday. Stephen Smith, LL Bean. We'll take a quick break here as the markets uh, add to some gains here. Dow up 75. We're back in a couple of minutes. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 